Good morning. My name is Jamie. I'm one of the pastors here at, at Summit Limestone. Glad to see you guys this morning. Um, we are actually on our last week of our, our, our series on the Sermon in the Mount. Um, I want to make a couple of announcements just to, to start off with. Uh, the first one is that there are these little handouts that we are going to have at the end of the service available. If you're not going to India yet, you still have a chance. There are four trips uh, in November. I'm going to be on the first one in November. There's another one in December. There's one in, in two in January, I believe. So this card, there's going to be an interest meeting tomorrow night. Uh, you can join it at a physical location at somebody's house, or you can join it online through uh, like video teleconferencing. It's pretty cool. Um, so Jeremy or some, some there will be some folks at the back that will have these in the end uh, at the end of the service. If you're interested in that, would love to have you have a part, be a part of that. Um, secondly. We're going to start something new here. I don't even know what to really call it, um, so you just have to have a little grace with me. It's, it's out of our comfort zone. We're, uh, we, we see there's a, a lot of folks that are in their, their 20s now, and they're, they're single, and we're like, okay, but we don't want to be anti-anything. So we're just going to start a Bible study and see what the Lord does with it. If you're, and you're, single, you're single in your 20s, somewhere around there, we're going to have an informational meeting. It's going to be September uh, 11th, like at 1020. It's going to be between services, just to see what that's going to be. <laughs> I don't know. We're, we'll take it from there when we get there, but there will be a meeting. So if you know anybody that might be interested in that, uh, just, just keep that in mind. We'll, we'll have the, some social media on that. August 31st is a week from, well, it's actually this Wednesday. That's going to be our students' kickoff for the year, 20, the 16-17 year. Uh, Ascend is moving up, and so we encourage all parents to come that. That will be right here uh, this Wednesday at 6.30. And then finally, finally, uh, ladies have their nights. They've had their retreats. Finally, we're going to do something for men. We're going to have a men's retreat. Um, that's going to be in October. Uh, there's going to be like a fishing tournament and a golf tournament. If you don't like golf, that's fine. You know, you can bring, I don't think you can shoot things, but um, we will just all kind of get together for Friday night and Saturday locally here at Joe Wheeler. There will be a sign-up for that uh, that's actually already there. Um, online at summitcrossing.org. If you want to sign up that, men. So we're going to get together, we're going to sing loud, and we're going to hear some truth, and we're going to talk deep. And voices, they're deep. It'll be fun. It'll be awesome. All right, so with that said, who made it to Ghost Ship on Wednesday night? Anybody? All right, okay, good. There's no, yay! It's just, you know, I, I was there. You know, <laughs> I, was, I was in the crowd. It was a great night. Um, I, ha- I get so nervous. So I started getting neck pain, you know, like around Monday. Because I'm like, man, we're taking a risk. I don't know. But it was fabulous. The Lord showed up. People worshipped. People were ready to sing when they came in the door. I don't know if you're here or not. But it was like, it was so loud. I loved it. It's like you could hear people singing over these really loud instruments. And it wasn't cool because the people that wrote the songs were here singing them. It was cool because people were singing their guts out. And, were, and actually, guess who was blessed? The band was blessed because people were singing so loud. They're like, man, these people, these people are worshiping Jesus. They're like, I know, it's crazy, right? It was amazing. And they left so blessed just to see that people are singing and loving Jesus uh, loudly. So I just want to encourage you that they were actually encouraged by singing. Um, So turn to Matthew 7. If this is your first time here, you're on the last day of an eight-week series. And so I'll do my best uh, to explain, to catch us up to speed without re-preaching all of those sermons. Um, We've been going through the Sermon on the Mount. So that's Matthew 5, 6, 
and 7. And we pray today that the, the, whole, the word of the Lord will, will pierce you and heal you at the same time. Right? That it is what the Holy Spirit uses to, to change us. That we are kingdom citizens. And what does that mean? The Sermon on the Mount, here's what, it's, here's what Jesus is doing. He is declaring war on dead religion. That's what he's doing. It, he eviscerates the mechanical, ritual, powerlessness that masquerades as faith. If we can just say it maybe like that, more succinct. Because Jesus is going for the heart. He goes for the jugular by going for the heart of what he sees around him and what uh, has been, what has come of faith in God has turned into religion and ritual and mechanistic tra- uh, you know, tradition. He goes for the heart. First, he says, you know, blessed are the, the poor in spirit. And, and he gives us the Beatitudes. And that gives us our identity, our character. Blessed are the poor in spirit. Blessed are those who mourn. Blessed are the meek. Right? Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness. The, the merciful, uh, the pure in heart. And, and we go through this long, this list of here's who you are. Here's what you're called to be. And we hear from him, this is what kingdom citizens look like. This is their character. And then he moves on to, you know what, this is not only who you are. Here's how you were to function in the world. Have salt. You're to be salt and light. You're to go into the darkness as light. You're to go into rotten places of the world and preserve and to bring life. And then he gives us illustrations at the, in, at the last part of chapter 5. What is it? Here's what it looks like in, in real life. Here's what being a kingdom citizen looks like. You put away anger. The lust in your heart is moved to the side. There's this desire for covenant marriage because it's a picture of Jesus and the church. It's not just about you. There's no verbal manipulation. You let your yes be yes and your no be no. It's not, oh, well, if you, you know, I can make you see my way, right? Um, there's this, you, you're, you're careful of retaliation. There's not a selective love. You don't just love uh, those that love you already. Right? He says, well, the Gentiles do that. I call you to love your enemies. Right? And that casts a wide net from the refugee all the way to your spouse. How do you do that? My spouse is my enemy this week. Chapter 6, he specifically goes for religious activity. He starts, hey, when you give, when you pray, when you fast, not if you do these things. These things are expected. You are to do these things. But when you do them the wrong way and you're doing them just to be seen, don't do that. That is not what we're called to do. It's not how we're, we're called to live. The treasures of your heart, what you long for, what you love, direct how you live. It's linked also, what we learned today, to your eternal destination. And so the Sermon on the Mount can feel like a sledgehammer. We talked about that last week. Just how in the world are you to live like that, to love your enemies, to not have anger in your heart? And the weight of that calling will just sit on your shoulders and feel like it's more than we can possibly do. Because it is more than possibly you can do. Remember, you know, God always calls us to do more than we can do on our own. If you feel like you're doing the, the Christian life pretty well, then you're really not living the Christian life if you're doing that on your own. If God were to remove his presence from your life and everything would stay the same in your life the way it is, then you're doing it on your own. 
the burden is, you know, the burden is going to be heavy. The, 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 the yoke is not going to be light. And, and you're going to be like, oh, I can just barely make it through this. You're not supposed to live like that. And so he wants your all, not just the good stuff, right? Jesus wants all of you. And the Sermon on the Mount drives us into desperate dependence and regularly seeking and going to our Father, seeking the kingdom, seeking his heart. And so the question is, are you building your life on that foundation today? As a kingdom citizen? Or is Jesus just there to give you a push? <laughs> Here you go. Go for it. You know how to live. Go for it. That, that's not Christianity. And that's religion. And that's what Jesus is talking about. So three points today. Number one, we're going to uh, see Jesus' authority which will color the next two points. So Jesus is authority. Number two, we're going to see the difference between good works and God's will. Good works and God's will. So Jesus is authority, good works versus God's will. And number three, knowing versus being known and how those are different. Knowing versus being known. So this is Matthew uh, chapter 7, verse 13 through 29. Jesus is authority. So let's start with the ending today. All right, the very last verse says, For he was teaching them as one who had authority and not as their scribes. Well, that's that's interesting. You don't want to be a scribe at that point, right? You're like, you have no authority. This is Jesus speaking. Who is this Jesus? I mean, he's summing up. These verses today, he is summing up all of what he's been talking about. He's bringing it uh, to a close. And remember, this is one sermon. It's not a collection of random sayings, right? And so uh, if you look at the end of it, he says he was teaching. He was one who had authority. If you look at the very beginning in chapter, actually, if you back up right before chapter 5 in, in chapter 4, uh, like verse 23, Jesus is proclaiming the gospel of the kingdom and, and healing every disease and every affliction among the people. And his fame spread. And he brought, they brought to him all the sick and afflicted and all this. And he's just healing people left and right. And he's casting out demons. And Luke, Luke says, power came from him. He's demonstrating his authority over sickness and over nature. Right? We're seeing this demonstration of power. In Matthew 5, 20, he says, For I tell you, unless your righteousness exceeds that of the scribes and Pharisees, you'll not enter the kingdom of heaven. I'm going to tell you how you get into heaven and how you don't get into heaven. I'm the key to that. Right? He's telling them who will and will not make it into the kingdom. And so the Sermon on the Mount declares Jesus' authority. And he goes up on a mountain. We have that, that's recorded. He's, he goes up onto a mountain to teach. Who else went on, onto a mountain to teach? Moses did, right? And so we have this, this picture of Moses going up, and Jesus is going up, and he's declaring what leads to life and what leads to death, just like in Deuteronomy chapter 30 at the end, verses 15 through 20. See if this sounds familiar to the Sermon on the Mount. This is Moses talking. He says, see, in chapter uh, chapter 30, verse 15, see, I have set before you today life and good, death and evil. Right? If you obey the commandments of the Lord your God that I command you today by loving the Lord your God, by walking in his ways. Here's how you do it. By walking in his ways, by keeping his commandments and his statutes and his rules, then you shall live and multiply. And the Lord will, the Lord your God will bless you in the land that you are entering to take possession of it. But 
If your heart turns away and you will not hear, but are drawn away to worship other gods and serve them, I declare to you today that you shall surely perish. You shall not live long in the land that you are going over the Jordan to enter and possess. I call heaven and earth to witness against you today that I have set before you life and death, blessing and curse. Therefore, choose life that you and your offspring may live by loving the Lord your God, obeying his voice, and holding fast to him. For he is your life and length of days, that you may dwell in the land that the Lord swore to your fathers, to Abraham, Isaac, and to Jacob, to give them. He's saying, here's life and here's death. And Jesus is saying, you're going to build your life. Here's two paths, two trees, two, two, two houses, and there's one that's going to make it, and one's, there's going to be a tragic end to. And it's the same God that declares the Ten Commandments on Mount Sinai. If you read Exodus 19, it's that there was a dark cloud and there was thunder and lightning and he descended on the mountain as fire. And it struck fear into the hearts of the people and they were in this covenant. And they were like, we're in it. We're with you. We're your people. It was an authority on high. And now Jesus, the same that brought the Ten Commandments is standing before his people now in the flesh. And he says, instead of through Moses, the Lord, thus saith the Lord, he says, I say to you. This is authority from on high, right? Not a prophet, but the prophet. Not a teacher, but the teacher declaring a new kingdom. We must understand this authority that Jesus has over not just creation, but our hearts and our lives and our allegiance. And it's from this background that this laid in scripture that Jesus explains the criteria that must be met to enter his kingdom. Now he has the authority to turn those away. To enter his kingdom. His his kingdom. He is the king of his kingdom. The king of kings and the lord of lords, right? And so we've got to have this picture of the divine judge of the eternal mystery, right? And the wonder. He's speaking this sermon. And Jesus makes the call. It's not the Jesus that we see if you grew up in church or the the pretty pictures where this real gentle looking man with long flowing hair and he's petting a lamb. He's just walking around. Jesus is just a sweet man. He's sweet. He's sweet. Well, that, that may be part of it. That's not the picture we have here of, hey, here's eternal judgment. Here's the criteria for it. Where are you? He talks about tearing out your eye and cutting off your hand so that you can go there. doing whatever is necessary to not be rejected. He's serious about sin, right? He's serious about how we are to live, and he wants us to do something about it, to love God a certain way, to hate sin and respond to it, not to nurture it, not to coddle it, not to excuse it, not to overlook it, but to take measures to cut it out. And Do you hate your sin enough to cut it out? to cut it off, to tear it away. That's what he's asking, right? He's calling out religious hypocrisy where lives don't match on the inside what they profess on the outside. 
And we're all guilty of it in one form or fashion. This is the authority that Jesus is speaking the Sermon on the Mount with. Number two, good works versus good or God's will, right? So let's look through the lens of verses 21 through 23. That, that kind of is the, the turning point and then the lens in which we see the, the illustrations before and after it, where you have the, the two paths, the two gates, and the two trees, and then the, the two houses, right? Is there a difference between good works and God's will? Jesus thinks so. <laughs> he, th- he really does, if you've been around for the last eight weeks. Verse 21 says, Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven, but the one who does the will of, of my Father. This is the first time he says my Father. Before it's been our Father, your Father, now it's my Father, right? My Father who is in heaven. He says, you can do good things and they have zero effect on your relationship with God and your eternal destination. Zero effect. That's hard to believe, but he's very clear on this. I mean, chapter 6 and 7 make that evident, right? Giving, praying, fasting, and right judging are examples of, of good works. And he exposes the motives behind them. And the, the Pharisees do those good works so that they can be seen by others and get glory or have their reputation uh, bolstered, you know, uh, have much made of them. That's why they're doing that. Not because they have a heart for God and to know and follow God. And he says, surely they have their reward. It's chilling. To know that you can do these good things and God can look away from that and not be impressed. And he makes this point over and over and over. Why? Same reason you need to hear the gospel over and over and over. We forget. We confuse religious activity with spiritual fruit. That's what we do. We think, oh, that person's got it together. Their family is all in a line and they're all sitting still and everything looks just like I would like my family to look. And we think that religious activity is spiritual fruit. And Jesus says, no, not necessarily. There's only two roads. And you can't travel both of them. You can't have two masters. You can't have a life that looks religious on the outside while having no real heart for God and be in God's kingdom. You can only look like you're in God's kingdom. That's all you got. The, the, the wide is the gate, right? The way is easy. There's a lot of people on it that goes to destruction. Narrow is the gate. Life is hard. There's suffering involved in being a Christian, right? Life is hard and few find it. What do you mean few find it? Fruit on the trees. Both, true, both trees have fruit. But some is diseased and some is healthy. Trees, that's what they do. They produce fruit. You know, they don't sit there and go, mm. you know, it, it just, they, they're just trees and fruit just happens. But it's the nature of the tree that produces the nature of the fruit. A diseased tree produces diseased fruit. A healthy tree produces healthy fruit. Diseased motivations produce diseased works. Right? And he keeps pushing. Verse 22, he says, they they come to me, Lord, Lord, did we not prophesy in your name and cast out demons in your name and do mighty works in your name? Who here 
has been a part of casting out a demon? I have not. I don't even think I've done a mighty work. Prophesying is questionable. I, mean, I, hope, I hope so. It's our heart. Well, that's some really good stuff right there, right? I mean, I'd like to be part of that. Those are very charismatic outside external gifts. And on one, one label, one level, I mean, that's those are that's good that that happens. But it doesn't seem to be what Jesus is concerned about at the moment when he's speaking. Even verse 26, you build a house. That's great, but it's, it's not about the house. It's about what the house is built on that's going to determine whether the house is a good work. It's on sand. You missed the point of life. What a tragic result. Not only has the life been wasted, but from here forward is eternal separation from God. That's what it's all about. God. Our version would be something like, I've been tithing. I've been showing up every Sunday. I've been showing up two out of four Sundays. That's better than them. They can only come one time Sunday. I go to missional community. I've read my Bible three or four times this week, right? I go to the duck pond and I hang out and I give out hot dogs and I give out water. I do some social justice stuff. I have a picture of a child on my refrigerator that I give to every month. Right? What do you mean, depart from me? I did the stuff. What is the point? Good works aren't works of God if they're done without a heart for Jesus. Good works aren't the will of God if they're done without a heart for Jesus. They can still look good in the religious world, but not be God's will. That's the point. The will of God lines up with the heart of God, and it always has Jesus at the center. That's, that's why we do what we do. Last night I was uh, at, a, at a, a banquet, uh, a fundraiser, a benefit for the Women's Resource Center. It was a great night. Had everybody turn out for the, for the, the to, to benefit them and, and for, for ladies that are choosing, you know, is, is abortion an option and choose life? And, and here's, here's some counseling and here's some resources, right? And so we're like, hey, let's support that. We're, we're there. We're behind you. And, and so here's what my heart could do. I could hear a speaker and I could feel, um, you know, in my heart I'm like, man, I better do this because I feel shamed or I feel terrible about this. I need to just do this, right? I, I'm, I'm being selfish with my money. I need to just give it. Or, you know what, I've been kind of messed up in the last six months. This will make me feel better if I just give some money. And it'll look good, and I'll feel better about myself. That's not going to honor God. What would honor God is, man, these ladies really need help. And these, these folks are reaching out. They're extending a cup of water. I want to be a part of that. What can I do? I could be that lady. I should be there. I can be there. Without Christ, I will. I need Him. What can my heart do? What can we do together? And then we go forward because Jesus is in the center. How can we get behind and benefit and support? See, that, that's the heart God is looking for. I was this, but because of you, I'm not anymore. Therefore, let's get behind and let's push and let's go together, right? That's, that's, see, the results on the outside look the same, though. And only our hearts are they're hidden. 
When we confuse religious activity with spiritual fruit, that's the very thing that will disguise our sin from our eyes. And we will self-justify the way we're living long enough to harden our hearts and be unaffected by the gospel. That's how you can live in church 20 or 30 years and be no different and be not excited and you have to go on Sunday morning and you have to do this and you have to do this and you have no trace of, I get to, I want to, I must be in God's presence. You, you see how that happens. Just a little at a time, a little bit of callousness and the deceitfulness of sin wins you over by doing good works. That's why Jesus is so hard on it. Why he's so hard on the Pharisees? Self-deception is exactly what it is. You can't see it in yourself. We must live in community. It gives you false peace in your heart. It makes you think you're okay before God and you are okay about yourself. And we haven't asked the Bible to expose our flaws and the Holy Spirit to shine his light on our lives, but, but we have used our imperfect, imperfect emotions to do so. And they tell us just what we need to hear from the enemy. In verse 23, Jesus calls those who prophesy and who cast out demons and who do mighty works. What does he call them? You're heroes of the faith. No, he doesn't. He calls them workers of lawlessness. Seems a bit harsh. He doesn't thank them for their work. He tells them to depart. See, this isn't a new kingdom crashing into the old kingdom. This is religion being exposed by the gospel, right? This is the difference between doing good works and doing godly works. It's the difference between a church that's anemic and on life support and one who is robust and filled with the Holy Spirit and excited about who Jesus is in their lives. Not just on a, a macro level, but on a micro level. Right? The whole thing. And it, it pervades and it permeates the entire body. That's who we want to be. Number three, knowing and being known. What then is the criteria for entering the kingdom? This is a hard message that Jesus is bringing. And I'm just telling you what he's saying. So, and Maybe this morning you're thinking, I'm already in. Maybe you are. I mean, the crazy thing about the kingdom and the way Jesus brings it because it's upside down is those that, are, those that usually think they're in are not and those that don't think they are are. It's just, Pharisees, we're in. No, you're not. You just think you are because you're looking to your works to save you. You're looking to the way you feel about yourself to save you. You're not looking at the truth of God's word. They were pretty sure. And these guys in verse 23 even argue a case. Lord, Lord, didn't we do mighty things? We cast out demons. <laughs> I'm like, that's a pretty good one. I mean, I'd let them in. You cast out a demon, you are in, because that's something. We know you, Lord, Lord. We're even calling him by the right name. They knew him. They thought. They thought they knew him the way they were supposed to know him. For all they knew, they were blind. They were blind that there's so much more. They had this low expectation of Christianity and they were content with a very weak appetite. 
and blind to a true knowledge of God. They knew his name. They seemed to know what to do. They even thought they knew what to say. And the know here is not just a mental assent, head knowledge, just relational, experiential, right? It's in a relationship. Like I know my wife or I know my good friend. It's, it's how you know. 1 Corinthians 8 says, uh, in, in, uh, verse 2 says, if anyone loves God, he is known by God. 1 Corinthians 13, now I know in part, but then I shall be fully, uh, I shall know fully, even as I am fully known. God knows us. Galatians 4, 9 says, but now that you have come to know God, comma, let me correct this, Paul says, rather to be known by God. Like, it's more important for you to be known by God than you to know God. Because you're, you're knowing God, that's got different levels, and it might not be what it needs to be, right? Because we know that, that the Pharisees know God and that demons know God, right? All kinds of people know God, and they make Jesus in their image so you can know God and go on and just live like a Pharisee and just not be in the right direction. What's more important is that you are known by God. He knows you. That's the criteria. I never knew you. Depart from me. That's it. It's more about being known by God. And that's how we love God. That's how our heart is changed. Otherwise, you're stuck in religion trying to work your way to meet a set of qualifications that you deem is good enough. And so Jesus is summing up everything here. He's been teaching about the heart. It's not about the outside until it's about the inside first. It's not about the behavior until the heart has been made new. And so this sermon that he's giving is the difference between a dead religion and life-giving gospel. And those gospel gaps that get in between, they occur in our lives that pull us off target, off course into the sway of the old kingdom. So the question is, what path are you on? What tree are you? What house have you built, uh, what foundation have you built your house on? Are you sure? <laughs> you know, it says test, test yourselves, examine yourselves to see if you're in the faith. That's what Peter tells us. What evidence, what fruit do you have? They had evidence too. This is scary. I'm not trying to terrify anybody into heaven. You know, we don't pull that card. Emotion only lasts so long. It's not going to convert your heart. Emotions are not the key that turn the lock to the gate. They follow the truth. Are you a self-deceived like a Pharisee? Are you working for God's acceptance or from God's acceptance? You see, you see the difference? It's a huge difference. And so it's not just about what you hear. The Pharisees have heard, they heard the gospel. But we have to hear. And it's not just about what you say. Lord, Lord. But we must speak. And it's not just about what you do. It's not works-based. We prophesied. We cast out demons. We did many, many works. But you must do. (laughs) You see the tension that's there? It's not about just this, but it includes this. And it's not just about this, but it includes this. And it's not just about this, but it includes this. And none of those alone are enough. But if he gets your heart, he's got it all. Because you do what you believe and what you love. 
because you're known by God. He wants all of your heart because it leads to proclaiming Him. It leads to doing good works. It leads to His glory. When He gets your heart, He's got all of you, your heart, your soul, your mind, your strength. All of Jesus is what we got. And He's not going to settle for anything less. It's not works-based. That's life-based. In fact, He demands it. This is the authority of Jesus. Hey, you can't serve two masters. Come on. I'm your king. I'm a loving father. There's nowhere better to go. But at the same time, I created you. He is due your life. Closing verses, Jesus says, He who hears my words and does them. Now, you can errantly think, okay, what does that mean? Does that mean, oh, I've got to go do some religious stuff now. I've got to hear the words and I've got to go do the words. Well, what are the words he's talking about? That's why we did the whole Sermon on the Mount. It's about your heart. It's about blessed are the poor in spirit. Blessed are those that mourn. Blessed are the meek that inherit the earth. Blessed are those that hunger and thirst after righteousness. Blessed are the heart that are like this. And when they aren't like this, they run as fast as they can to me. They're desperately dependent on me. They know they can't live like this. They're called to a higher standard than they're capable of so that they will come to me. That's what he says. That's what's doing what he said. It's living life in dependence on Him, recognizing His authority, recognizing that He's a Father, coming to Him in prayer with every need that we have. I mean, because He just got through saying, depart from me, all you guys that are doing these things. See, doing these things is not doing His words. You've got to see the difference in what Jesus is saying. It is about the heart. Christianity is a call to die to yourself. For something much greater than you could ever produce on your own. That's why Jesus says, lose your life so you can find it. It's starting to make sense what he's talking about. And so he calls us, treasure God. Not this world. Stop longing for things in this world to satisfy your heart. You're never going to be satisfied until you feast on eternal, inexpressible joy that comes from Jesus. That's found only in his death and his burial and resurrection. The Sermon on the Mount is a call to heart renovation. Expressed in how we live. More like Jesus. We're going to have a prayer time. Right now, the worship team's out there. You guys can come on up here. I just want you to focus. Ask the Holy Spirit to come in to shine a light, maybe, on self-deception in your own life. I feel like I got it together pretty good. Maybe. Probably not. Where are there gospel gaps in your life? Where is anger creeping in? Where has lust got its talons in your heart? Where is there not a desire to love your enemy? Who is your enemy? Is it your spouse this week? Is it a coworker? Is it somebody in your missional community group? Are you desiring to have a counterattack every time somebody says something that, that may call your judgment into to question? Is it to retaliate? Jesus says don't do that. Why, stop defending yourself. Why, why do you feel like you have to do that?
Just take time and meditate and say, Holy Spirit, would you come in? Would you shine your light in my heart and show me where I'm not following you? We're just going to take maybe two minutes to do that, just where you are right now. And then we'll, we'll talk about the Lord's Supper and take uh, communion together. Thank you.